0: Last week the government announced some far-reaching plans for foreign workers post-Brexit. These of course, consternation in the agricultural community, particularly those desperately needing seasonal workers to pick fruit and veg and work in processing and packing houses. I'm joined today by Stuart Roberts. If we do not have
1: access to labour
0: ultimately we will see fruit and veg left in field. And James Peck.
2: Farmers are particularly worried about this, that they're going to uh, really struggle to um, maintain their businesses if they can't get the, uh, the, the workers that they require.
0: Both from the NFU and Angie Stewart from the UK Fresh Produce Network.
2: We
3: just wait have the people to pick the produce.
0: We'll be discussing the plans in a few minutes. I'll also be chatting with Michael Jordan from JRP Water about water management and Rosie Crust from the Lincolnshire Agricultural Society about a scheme educating the next generation about what agriculture has to offer.
3: The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard.
0: Good morning. In the news this week, George Eustace announced at the NFU Congress there will not be derogation of the three-crop rule, despite the floods, to groans in the audience. Uh, The feeling was strong at the NFU that this really is unacceptable, and quite how sticking to the rules so rigidly benefits anyone is hard to understand. And I'm sure no-one will appreciate the additional paperwork and time spent claiming under force majeure, as the Minister suggested. Time to talk to your MP was the comment made to me by several people I've spoken to this week. Congratulations to Minette Batters, who's been unanimously re-elected as NFU President, and Stuart Roberts takes a step up to Deputy President, and to Thomas Bradshaw, who was elected Vice President. Well done all. Credits to the NFU, everyone. Also in the news this week, Arla has announced that its UK March manufacturing milk price is to increase by 0.9 pence per litre to 30.9 in line with increases for its European farmer suppliers. The government has announced some significant proposals relating to immigration post-Brexit and these limit the ability of low-skilled workers to obtain visas and the number of such workers that will be allowed to come to the UK from next year. Now given the level of seasonal labour essential to the the industry. These plans have some serious ramifications. James Peck and Stuart Roberts join me from the NFU. James, first of all, do you think the government understands the impact of these plans?
2: It, it would appear not. Um, uh, you know, workers in, in fields are absolutely vital for farm businesses here, um, and um, if we're not careful, we'd have a major um, lack of, of, of workers to, to carry this on, and um, it's incredibly worrying, particularly for uh, farmers in Lincolnshire, where there's um, you know it's a hotbed for uh, for flower growing and veg growing uh, particularly so um, uh, it's a very worrying uh, state of affairs and luckily at the moment it's a proposed policy um, and uh, we'll be talking about this loud and clear in any consultation they have to ensure the British farmers voices are heard.
0: The government were talking about 10,000 um, people that will be allowed to do this and we've talked about what 70,000 was it
1: that that's we need? That's exactly it that's a, that, that you you've uh, you've done your research well there Steve that's exactly it um, and' we're, therefore, we are circa sixty thousand short um, and and look we we are ambitious about finding those uh, those other solutions so that we we don't rely uh, entirely on labor for these things, but the technology is just not there. in fact, if you remember the uh, at the the farming conference a week or ten days ago, we saw that very, very exciting. Uh, presentation on uh, by the small robot company and what they're doing Um, and I think there's some fantastic opportunities out there for that type of technology um, and and ultimately using that technology to pick fruit uh, etc but we're not there yet and and the worst thing we could do is is destroy an industry in the short term so that we are not there in the long term to benefit from the technology that we're able to produce and and, and have the intellectual property on here in the UK.
0: So I assume the NFU will be lobbying against these plans?
2: Absolutely, and it's absolutely vital we do that. Um, At the moment both of these policies are just not fit for purpose for British farming and uh, that needs to be addressed.
0: Angie Stewart is head of the UK Fresh Produce Network in Lincolnshire. Angie, it's not just workers in the fields picking fruit and veg, is it? Certainly in Lincolnshire there's a huge business in packing, processing and distribution of fruit.
3: If you look at most of the exotics in most of the major supermarkets from melons through cherries to, um, the, to avocados, um, all those kind of exotics, they all come through Spalding. So um, it's enormous. 80% of the produce businesses in, in South Lincolnshire actually have a combined um, income of £1.9 billion and they employ 9000 in the local area. Um, but they also bring in a skilled labour and, and a lot of their unskilled labour um, comes from other countries. So if, if we suddenly cut that, they have no-one to employ. They have... They, It would be... Potentially, it could be catastrophic.
0: Now, of course, at the moment, these are plans, proposals. But given the government's majority, who would bet against the plans becoming reality? The NFU said that it will be lobbying government to ensure that the views of the farming community are heard. And if you'd like your voice and your opinions and concerns to be heard during the consultation period, a chat with your NFU contact seems essential and urgent. Okay, time for our weekly agronomy update now with Crop Doctor Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Morning, Sean. Any thoughts on immigration and derogation?
4: Yes, good morning, Steve. Although in the words of Victor Meldrew, what's good about it? You really do wonder, don't you, when you hear reports like that, if our minister has any concept of the impact of some of his decisions. A man who is himself a farmer, you would expect to know um, that scrapping the migrant workers is going to cause catastrophic damage to the veg market, the bulb market, the flower market... Businesses which bring in an awful lot of money to the Treasury, let's not forget. All sort of cutting your nose off to spite your face just to appease a section of society who say we don't want migrant workers and migrant movement within the UK. Absolutely crackers. And not just, I mean, I'm absolutely certain that they're right. There are the numbers of people here in the UK who could do those jobs. People already living here, already in the domestic system. But whether they have the inclination to work long hours of backbreaking work is an entirely different Proposition, And if you're going to force people to do that work, that we're going to leave a gap by not allowing the migrant workers to come in and do it, then we might as well live in communist China. It's absolutely incredible. And if you add to that the other wonderful decision made by Mr Eustace this week, that they're not going to relax or give any derogation to the three crop rule. For those of you that don't know the three crop rule means that you have to have three crop groups at any time on the farm, so no one crop if you 're over thirty hectares of land, no one crop can take up more than seventy five percent of the total land area. The second biggest crop can't take up any more than another twenty percent of the land area, and then you have to have a third crop hence three crop rule in two thousand and seventeen, we had about eighty percent more crop in the ground going into the the winter, so at this time in two thousand and eighteen, we had an awful lot. More Crop in the ground. We had a lot of oilseed rape, we had a lot of wheat, we had a lot of barley when oilseed rape wasn't particularly bothered by cabbage stem flea beetle in these parts. This year we've about 40% of the crop in the ground that we would expect. The land is soaking wet, you can't even walk on it. So wet, the proposition of getting crops in the ground at the moment is something we can't even complicate contemplate not even getting on the land to do any cultivation because it is so wet it's rained again at the end of the week it's raining again now and it forecasts more rain these fields need a three or four week minimum just to start to dry out now if you take think that we're in March now that takes us to the end of March beginning of April if you consider that crops like spring wheat and spring barley you can drill them up until about the end of the first week of April and then you're starting to lose money on them because they will not produce a viable crop in the period you're giving them to grow. They have 120 odd day growing period and you're asking them to do all of their growing in about 90 days and they just don't perform. That's what we saw in 2018 spring, cuckoo barley we call it. When you're drilling spring barley in May, when you've heard the cuckoo already, it just does not finish. So we can't get into that position again. No right-minded business person puts a crop in the ground knowing they're going to to lose money of it but because there's been no derogation and no relaxation of that three crop rule people are going to be forced to put crops in the ground knowing they're going to lose money on it otherwise they're going to get a hit on the single farm payment absolutely shameful and if you talk about people being completely out of touch with what's going on out here in the field Mr Eustace you need to take more than two 12 minute sections of your day uh, listening to the archers you need more fresh air than that you need to get out here and see the problems we are facing and see the pressure and the stress that farmers are already under this spring without you adding to it by not Allowing that derogation. The perversity of it is that they you they allowed a derogation in 2017 autumn, and it was nowhere near as bad as this. And Mr. Eustace, I believe you, were on the team with Mr. Gove at that time. So how have things changed? So it's worse now, but we're not going to give a derogation. Oh, makes my blood boil. And while we're talking about legislation, by the way, just change the subject slightly. Last week, I said it's a non-compliant to drive through standing water. That was the case about five years ago. That isn't the case anymore. I apologise for that. But it doesn't take away from the fact that it is just common sense. You should not be driving with nitrogen fertiliser or compound fertilisers through standing water because you'll lose money. It'll affect your pocket. It'll get into the water courses, It affects the environment. So just common sense not to go out and do that. So let's talk about the crops we do have in the ground, what few of them there are. Oilseed rapes, some of them are starting to move, I say some of them because some of them are still flat to the floor. Those fields that you look at and you think it doesn't look happy, it looks a mucky bluey browny sort of colour and it's not running, it's not doing anything, it's had some nitrogen, cut them open because if they're brown in the heart, chances are they're full of cabbage stem flea beetle, they will be the fields you need to write off and don't waste any more money on them. Or because of the perversion of no relaxation of the three crop rule, leave them as they are and let that be a crop as part of your three crops. Unbelievable that we're getting to that point in this industry Uh, but that is where we are. Now remember you're still perfectly okay for clopyrolid or picloram products if the crop is starting to move away from the floor going upwards as long as the buds are still encased within the leaves. Once the buds start to rise clear that's when you need to stop so keep in close contact with your advisor. It will happen relatively quickly. Again Nitrogen is the key to everything. That is the priority. That's what I would be prioritizing out there in wheat and oilseed rape and barley and everything else alike. Light leaf spot just increased slightly but again just plenty cold enough and on my patch nowhere near any threshold so I'm not doing a fungicide. Winter wheat I am picking up some yellow rust out there in the field particularly on the top of the wolds on the earlier drilled stuff but again I'm not putting any fungicides on we're just making plans and making a note of where these products are these problems are. Nitrogen is the thing you should be putting on now so all of that said let's see what the next seven days bring.
0: In a moment, we'll talk water management with Michael Jordan from JRH Water and hear about a programme to educate the next generation on
5: what agriculture has to offer. First, hello Kit Dickinson from Openfield. Morning Steve. Plenty of headlines still about the coronavirus and the potential impact to global markets. Agricultural markets were mixed with London wheat making small gains earlier this week, although I would have thought that this was more down to the weaker pound rather than much else the pound fell to the bottom of the major currency class wednesday and profit taking prompted by renewed speculations of the delay in the march budget which comes in addition to mounting at coronavirus concerns now that we've come to the end of february winter wheat period is has come to a close even for varieties like skyfall it is now too late so that's it for wheat this week we'll move, moving on to barley a quiet week with only limited trade taking place Ongoing discussions have been about recent report from the AHDB and the intended barley area for the coming harvest, with focus on recent, recent weather conditions and when they will break and allow some sort of spring planting to progress. However, there is some light at the end of the tunnel, with some social media reports reflecting planting's progress in Norfolk. The lack of activity on old crop position values have struggled to maintain their recent levels, and with slightly easier feed prices, support has been lacking. Discussions with consumers over new crop intentions and yielded little firm interest, although we do have a number of inquiries. Weather reports from further afield are also reflecting a wetter pattern, and rain has been seen across Scandinavia and particularly Denmark, along with France, which has meant a similar story for their slow plantings for the spring. Oil sea rape started out on a similar footing to last week with the coronavirus threat and the spread outside of China rocking the commodity and financial markets. Matif, at the time of writing, was nine cents lower over the course of the week. Late last Friday, there was an announcement that China had suspended talks on recommencing canola supply from Canada due to the impact of the virus was having on the domestic demand, which continued a lacklustre mood. Even amendments to the 2020 crop outlook from the AHDB has done little thus far to support new crop values even as the area is now reduced to 361,000 hectares with a potential further downward revision, meaning a greater reliance on imported seeds to balance the books. Perhaps for now the external influences such as those mentioned above have in fact raised oil prices. Not seen in the last 12 months though. As the week progressed, news that Argentina suspended applications for export licenses ahead of a potential tax hike was met with some support for soybeans, and the potential export competitor for the ever-shrinking China demand story could have been on side. With the opening on the second of March, applications for the tariff exemptions in China, markets are anticipated to go up, so please keep an eye on these. Limited news on beans this week, so moving on to prices. Wheat, March 144 to 146. May one hundred forty-eight to one hundred fifty, November one hundred fifty-seven to one hundred fifty-nine. Milling premiums are currently twenty-five to twenty-eight pounds. Barley for March one hundred twenty-three to one hundred twenty-five, May one hundred twenty-five to one hundred twenty-seven, November one hundred twenty-six to one hundred twenty-eight. Malting premiums are currently seven to ten pounds. Oilseed rape values for March three hundred fourteen to three hundred sixteen, May three hundred twenty-three to three hundred twenty-five. November 312 to 314. And beans for May 230 to 235. November 185 pounds with one pound carry going forward for new crop. Human consumption premiums are 10 pounds for winters and £20 for springs.
0: Thank you, Kit Dickinson from Openfield, back next week on the farming programme. Now, let's return to the subject of water. I went out earlier today and had a chat with Michael Jordan from JRH Water. Michael, we've got a wet day yet again. We've plenty of water on the fields still at the moment, and likely to be for, for a certain amount of time. We've had a particularly bad one over the autumn and the winter this year, but it's, it's not the first time this has happened. There's a good chance, come the summer, We'll be short of water, maybe not this summer, but in future summers. What can what can we do? What can farmers do? Not You can't prevent what's going to come down out of the skies, obviously, but what can we do to sort of manage the situation? Well,
6: the, the big key is about utilising, like you said, what comes out of the sky. Um, so the first thing that we would always say to any farmer is rainwater harvesting is a, is a good start point. Obviously, it's collecting water off roofs into store tanks, which not only means then you can use that water for anything you want on the business, but also it is a flood prevention device as well. So it um, kills two birds. Um, From that, we have um, a lot of technology where we can do what we now call the mass store. So you can collect, um, well, it, it can almost be unlimited depending on size of roofs and collection area of water into mass storage tanks, um, and then we can treat that water to keep the bacteria and everything um, away, which then prolongs the store life of water, which means it can be used, so you could store it for up to, well, it, almost indefinitely with the with the treatment. Um, so if you collect it in the wet months, and then when you use it in the dry months, it'll be um, nice, clean and fresh, ready to go. What are you actually treating it with? Um, there's a few ways. There's, there's um, obviously the UV... Um, is a good one Um, but what we are using is a stabilized hydrogen peroxide um, chemical additive which will attack um, bacteria um, and kills bacteria uh, keeps it to the absolute minimum if not eradicates it altogether Um, the bonus of it it prolongs store life of water um, the added benefits to it is, is once the chemical's actually done its job, its um, side effects, if you want to call it that, is actually oxygen and water. So there's no harmful chloride uh, going into the uh, watercourses on overflows or anything like that. And also um, it's been proven to stimulate um, root growth in plants. And um, also benefits got retention in
0: livestock, so it is a very, very good chemical for use on a farm so it 's decent quality water that's actually going back out there on the fields when it comes to being used. How much water can actually be stored? Is it going to last a farmer throughout a dry summer or is it just a top up
6: um, it can it again it depends on the size of collection or how many collections you have um, we've just done one which was um, twelve hundred and thirty two meters um, grain store um, which based on it was over on the west coast of the uk so based on their rainfall they were collecting on average going to store a year uh, 1.2 million liters
0: is that basically what a farmer can do so take the situation where we're in at the moment where we've got too much of the water store it and then use it when it's when it's dry or is there anything else that that a farmer can do by way of water management
6: um yeah there's there's one that um, we're starting to do which is um relatively new which is quite exciting for us which is collecting off uh, land drains so obviously with all the standing water we're having if the the field has been uh, land drained uh, tapping into the land drains before it goes to the ditches um collecting water then taking that water away and cleaning it up Um, obviously it depends on the quality that's in there at the time which we will do the tests and everything for but we can get that water to pretty much whatever quality you want Um, and then that can be reused as well but also again that is a flood prevention device so everything we're doing is firstly utilise natural water that you've got on the site because one it's going to save you money against your mains which is always a good thing the water we're going to provide you is going to be a better quality for use So, again, that's going to give you more profit and more money in your pocket. And then the other bonus is, especially with what's going on at the moment, is um, flood prevention. So, as we always say, you know, if you they harvest everything else, why not harvest water? I mean, large areas of land, large areas of roofs. Um, They're even starting to harness energy through solar, so that's harvesting energy. So, um, harness water
0: as well. Makes perfect sense. Michael, thank you. That's Michael Jordan from JRH Water. Have a look at their website if you want to know more. This week sees an innovative campaign aimed at bringing agriculture into our schools, literally. Rosie Crust from the Lincolnshire Agricultural Society is on the line. Rosie, tell us a little bit about this Tractors Into Schools programme. What's it all about?
3: The Tractors Into Schools initiative we uh, launched three years ago in partnership with ourselves, the Agricultural Society, uh, Lincolnshire Young Farmers Clubs and also the National Farmers Union. And really we wanted to take as many tractors into Lincolnshire schools as possible um, just to give farmers the opportunity to share their farming story um, and help educate you know, our future generations on the importance of farming, food production in the countryside.
0: So it's about spreading the, spreading the good word...
3: Absolutely, there's so many positives and this is why you know, it's so great for the farmers to get out into schools. Um, lots of children and also probably lots of the school staff have probably never met a farmer before. Um, so you know, for them it's sort of a real revelation and also just having that tractor in the playground it is such a memorable experience and probably for many a first time for them to actually see and sit on a tractor.
0: So what actually happens on the day?
3: So on the day we've got lots of farmers who will take their tractors into, into the school playgrounds so children will have the opportunity to sit on the tractor. But then also um, we wanted to sort of showcase how agriculture can fit into all the curriculum subjects across both primary and the secondary school curriculum. Um, so the farmers will also provide different learning opportunities for the children um, to get involved with as well, to do with uh, food and farming, you know, the farm to fork process, things like that. So it's a great learning opportunity for the children.
0: And whereabouts is this happening, Rosie?
3: Uh, so Tractors in Schools is happening across the whole of Lincolnshire. Um, so we've got tractors going into the south of the county, to the north of the county, um, all over. So, yeah, it's a, a Lincolnshire initiative.
0: This is also happening in Suffolk, I gather.
3: Yeah, so the Suffolk Agricultural Society also do the same initiative. Um, so lots of other, you know, lots of societies are now probably getting on board and just seeing the value and the importance of connecting school communities with the farming community and just, you know, giving the farmers the opportunity to, um, to showcase their story. Um, and also... Um, sort of inspire and open young minds I know last year we went into a few secondary schools but this year um, our tractors are going into even more secondary schools and it's a great opportunity to you know, open the young minds to the um, careers within the food and farming industry
0: And how long has this been going on for?
3: We've been doing tractors in schools for the past three years, um, I have got some fantastic um, stats from the campaign, so we've visited 143 schools, um, 7,800 children have taken part and we've had 238 farmers involved um, over the last three years. So it's a very exciting, which lots of farmers want to get involved with.
0: Fantastic. And you're getting me on a tractor next week.
3: We are, so we're getting you into the school on a tractor, which is brilliant. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing you.
0: Really looking forward to that. I'll report back on next week's programme. The Farming
3: Programme five-day forecast.
0: Storm Jorge continues to bring rain and some damaging gusts of wind but should blow itself offshore during Sunday and hopefully take the rain with it. Temperatures will get up to around seven celsius today with very little rain from this afternoon. Monday brings a westerly wind flow, bringing showers and sunny spells, but not particularly warm. Highs around 7 Celsius. Indeed, temperatures are expected to be a little below par for the first week in March. Nighttime frosts are likely, and due to low pressure, the unsettled weather continues well into the middle of the week. Tuesday, the wind will be from the west, and for the most part, moderate, mostly dry, with a high of 7 Celsius. The wind backs to easterly on Wednesday, but it will be quite gentle and mostly dry. Highs expected around 7 Celsius again. Later in the week, the wind continues to back, northerly, then southerly, Thursday and Friday. Drier at the end of the week, but staying chilly. Pressure rising, so a little more settled than recently. Finally, well done to everyone at Louth Livestock Market and the organisers of the Christmas Fat Stock Show and Sale for raising the immense amount of £2,308.13p and for Macmillan Cancer and Lincolnshire Rural help. Well done all. This week I'll be visiting the Rural Business Show. If you're going to, do come and say hello. I'll report back on that and on my school visit on next week's programme. Until then, I'm Steve Orchard. Have a great farming week.